sing together, what can wash away my sin? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of
one more time. Good singing this morning. You may be seated. Good morning and welcome to Randall Church. My name is Bill Hind. I'm one of the elders here at Randall and we are so glad you're here with us today. At Randall Church, we have three ways that we want to connect with you. We want to see you find your place upward in Christ, inward in the church, and outward in the community. If you're interested in how you can do that, how we can help you with that, Please take one of the connection cards in front of you, little white cards in the pew rack. You can fill that out and ask for information. Um, you can also ask for prayer requests. We'd love to pray with you or share any other needs that uh, you are aware of or that you have. Well, this week, uh, many of you are already aware, but two of our longtime members went home to be with the Lord. That is Connie Green and Linda Ringleben. Uh, I am a bit of a history buff, so I dug into the church archives, and I found that Linda became a member in 1998. She may have been here before that, I don't know. Um, and Connie became a member in 1957, 65 years ago. So between the two of them, they had about 89 years of membership at this church. So we celebrate the time that we had here with them, uh, serving alongside them, we mourn their loss, but we rejoice in knowing um, that they are with their Lord right now. Services for, for both of those ladies um, will be upcoming, so keep an eye on your email for uh, information about that. Uh, well, it's May now. We think the snow is gone. seems to be gone this morning, so, and uh, we're starting to think about VBS. It's getting warmer. Kids are starting to think about school ending, and that means VBS is coming. So VBS is a very important ministry of Randall. Um, and we, we have a lot of kids come into our building. We have an opportunity to teach them about God's love for them, something that they don't hear um, maybe ever out in the world. So if you're interested in serving in that way, helping um, these kids to know more about Jesus, please stop back um, to one of the kiosks in the back after the service, and we'll be happy to let you know uh, how you can serve that way. If you get the electronic bulletin that comes in your email, you can find uh, Helen Monegro's email address there and feel free to contact her and she'll be happy to uh, connect you up with a way to serve there. Um, also, Cliff, this is the time of year at Randall when we recognize elders and we are very happy to let you know that Cliff Miller has been recognized by the members of Randall Church and uh, asked by the current elders to serve another term and he has agreed to put his name on the slate for that. So his name will be um, up on the slate for elders at the annual meeting for another three-year term. Most of you know and love Cliff already. If you don't know him, you can meet him and greet him after the service in the narthex. If you do know him, you can stop by too. I'm sure he'd love to say hi to you. Um, lastly, today being the, the first Sunday of the month, we'll be celebrating communion, remembering uh, our Lord's death and resurrection. If you haven't picked up your communion elements, you can get those at the uh, at the 
in the serving plates at the back of the sanctuary during our greeting time, which is right now. So at this time, I'm going to ask the children to go ahead and head downstairs for the children's programming, and everyone else, please stand up and say hi to someone nearby. All right, if you'll bring your focus back to the front, let's worship together and sing about the promises of God throughout Scripture.
for your faithfulness as we continue to sing about your great name we sing to this father's world that has been created all around us lord let us sing that together and trees of skies and seas his voice with wonder brought this is my father's word oh let me never forget that though what's wrong seems often strong God is a ruler yeah. this is our father Victory. 
before you today. We sing these old hymns. We sing to the, the depths of our heart, Lord, trying to bring glory and praise to you above all else. Everything in this room, everything that we have, Lord, we are giving all that we have to you here today. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stay standing?
I'm going to read from our, from our text this morning, which is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, that's page 1225. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Please be seated. Well, they say that the most effective memory trigger is the sense of smell. Scientists believe that this is because most memories are associated. They tend to be smells that are older and thought about less often. So when you get that recollection of time, uh, it helps it be very vivid when it happens. They say that the most effective memory trigger is the sense of smell. Repeating is also an effective memory trigger as well. Have you ever smelled rotting meat? I won't do this to you, but imagine this. Imagine if I had opened with that and I called our ushers then to come forward and in their plates they had something that had been scraped off the highway this week, dropped into the offering plates and brought into the room so that you would remember today, you would remember this moment that I asked you if you remembered through the sense of smell. Do you think that that would be a memorable sermon? It would be a memorable morning, at least, I would say that. One of the measurables as to whether a sermon is memorable or not is whether or not people talk about it over the dinner table afterwards. Do you think you would have talked about it if we had walked in with plates full of rotting meat? Would you have talked about that over your dinner table today? Perhaps. Perhaps you shouldn't. My name is Pastor Milo. I am so glad you're here. If you're watching online, if it's your first time with us this morning, or if you're listening back to our podcast at a later time, we are so glad 
that you are here. Today's message is one that I hope that you will remember, even if I don't have a plate of rotting meat here to help you do it. Not because of my great introduction, not because of my great public speaking skills, but because of the great power of God's Word that is going to speak to us here this morning. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, we ask you to bring your Bibles every week, bring something to write with, and bring something to write on, because we believe that when we come together, that God actually has something to say to us, and we want to, as we see Moses in the Old Testament said, write this down. Pay attention, there's something here for you today when we open God's Word. If you're here this morning and you're still trying to work through how you might get God's attention or trying to work through how you might earn God's favor, today God is showing you and is going to be showing you and I a different way to live. They say that the most effective memory tool is the sense of smell. I can't believe it, but six years have passed since the story that I'm about to tell you. It comes uh, from to my mind every time I get a whiff of bad meat. I remember this story. And actually six years ago, because I checked my notes, my file, my archive, I shared this story with you six years ago. And here's what happened. It was just after Easter break. Depending on how Easter falls each year, for a pastor's family, it can be kind of difficult. If, if Easter falls where the kids get a week off of school after Easter Sunday, that's best for a pastor and his family. If it falls the week before Easter, that becomes difficult because there's a lot of activities that we have that week, a lot of planning that we have uh, as pastoral staff that week. And so this particular year, uh, it was the week before Easter that the kids had off. So we did go away. We got some time away, but I flew back early, a few days early, so that I would be here for our Good Friday service and I would have time to prepare for Sunday morning. And my family returned a few days later in the minivan separately. So as it would happen, I came home and I actually didn't eat any meals there at home. I didn't open my refrigerator. I was invited over to a friend's house the first night that I got home, and then I met another friend out for dinner the second night that was home. And so long story short, my refrigerator had stopped working, and I didn't know it. What happened was the first couple of days we were gone out on vacation, there was an electric surge in the, power, in the power grid, and it had shorted out our refrigerator and freezer, and we never knew it. So when I got back home, and I never opened up the refrigerator to see what was going on, that was two more days on top of the four days that had already passed, the power had gone out. So... What happened was my wife and the rest of the family came back home. Aaron goes to the refrigerator to see what's in the refrigerator, opens the doors, immediately passes out, and comes to four hours later. It was awful. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible stench that came out of that refrigerator as one wave and just about knocked everybody out in the house. So what we ended up doing, we had to replace the refrigerator. And so we went shopped around, got our new refrigerator, brought that one in. And then we took, after cleaning the entire refrigerator out the best that we could, cleaning and throwing away all the stuff out of the, out of the freezer, which, by the way, we had a quarter cow of organic meat that we had just purchased about a month previous. Oh, some of you are sad about the organic cow, yes. It all gone bad. It all gone sour. We cleaned it all out, we took it out, we threw it away, and then we pulled the refrigerator freezer out and we put it on the dolly. 
And when we put it on the dolly and tipped it back, this, this juicy mess of what had been in the refrigerator and in the freezer had, had found its way into the innards of this particular machine. This, this thing just poured out all over our kitchen floor and we had a path from the kitchen all the way out to the street of vile goo. Which leads me to my first point this morning, if you weren't tracking with us. The way of sin smells like death. The way of sin smells like death. Bill Hine just read for us, thank you Bill, from Ephesians chapter 2, but I'm going to read the first two verses here for us again. As for you, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Continuing verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The way of sin smells like death. Paul here is writing from a prison cell. He's writing some folks in the Christian church there in the city of Ephesus. It's part of modern day Turkey. That's where he is writing to. Paul is in prison because he has been continually going and sharing the word and telling the world about Jesus. Paul is in chains because he can't stop and he won't stop talking about what has happened in his life since he met Jesus on the Damascus road and God gave him a new purpose in life. It gave him a new name. Because of Christ, he has a new identity and his role is no longer Saul, the one who is persecuting Christians, but his name would be Paul. His new identity would be to go and tell people the good news of the gospel. Paul, he signs the top of this letter because that's the the culture of the day. You sign the top of the letter rather than the bottom of the day. He starts his letter, verse 1, he says, Paul, who is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Maybe you noticed in the title of the slide as we first began this morning, it says, Upward, a new life. That's my sermon title for you this morning. But why the word upward? As we are making our way through this sermon series, as we are making our way through the book of Ephesians, you will find, and we are seeing as we are digging into this text, that actually those DNA statements that we talk about, those values that we talk about here as a church, that we would be a church that has a relationship upward in Christ, that we would be a church that has relationships inward in the church, we'd be a church that has relationships outward in the community. You're going to see that jump off the page as we move through the book of Ephesians. Two weeks ago, it was Easter Sunday, and so we didn't dive into the details of that. Last week, Pastor Eric was here from Fieldstone, and so he didn't give us the details of that. But I want you to see as we move through this that this is all the focus of the beginning of Ephesians is this upward relationship with Jesus Christ. As we've noticed in previous weeks, Paul tells his readers how on resurrection morning, how they have this new identity. And he says it multiple times in that first chapter. The new identity is what? In Christ. Last week, Pastor Eric, he's from Fieldstone Church. And we had Fieldstone was here. That's our church plant that's up the road a little bit in the Clarence Hollow. They joined us last week. And he talked about what it means and what it looks like to know God. 
Not just know about him, but actually know God and know him intimately and how he has made that relationship available to us. God invites us to know him. And when we do so, having a personal relationship with a holy God gives us a new perspective on life. Paul has been praying that the Christians in Ephesus would keep expanding their horizons and keep getting to know God a little bit better each and every day. The final verse of chapter 1 says that when we are part of the church, when we are part of the body of Christ, then we will experience the fullness of life, a full and meaningful life. And then the very next verse, chapter 2, verse 1, which you just read, Paul says, as for you, you were dead. Who is Paul talking to? here. It's almost like someone else walked into the room while he was writing this letter. He just told his readers, he just told us, as we are reading 2,000 years later, that if we are part of the church, we are part of the body of Christ, that we will experience the fullness of life, having meaning in life. But as for you, he says, you were dead. Whoever you is better pay attention to this verse, because Paul is really coming after that guy. That guy smells like sin. That guy smells like death. Or at least he used to. Paul says, as for you, you were dead. Who is Paul talking to here? It's you! Ha <laughs> ha! It's you. Not other people, but you. You were dead. This is an important point for me to kind of belabor and stick into because we recognize that there are some people who are bad people. We recognize that there are some people who are living in sin. We recognize that, but we always think about that as somebody who's out there who has the problem. Someone, but that someone is not me. So we put locks on our doors. We put locks on our homes to keep the bad people out. We put locks on top of the locks and then we put a security system in to keep the bad people out. And then we get a dog so in case the security system fails and in case the locks fail, then we've got a dog that will protect us. And some of you will also put a gun in the cabinet so that in case the security system fails, in case the locks fail, and in case those bad people come in. But what happens here? is that Scripture is teaching us, whatever culture that we are in, we tend to look out there. We tend to think of those bad people outside as the bad people. Those people have the problems. And what Scripture is telling us is all this dysfunction, all the sin that we see in the world, that's actually not out there. It's right here. It's in the mirror. You, he says, you who were dead. Nathan goes to, as a prophet, he goes to David. He looks him in the eye and says, you are that man. Imagine when our refrigerator failed. Imagine that I assume that the problem with my meat is that it just didn't have enough spice in it. Imagine that all I needed to do is put on a little bit more ketchup if you're in middle school, a little bit more ranch. You put ranch dressing on everything. This will solve the problem. 
I'm sure it'll be fine. I can't smell it anymore. It'll be fine. We are, by nature, spiritually dead. We are rotting and we smell. We may cover things up and begin to smell okay for a while. We may learn how to cover up the stench of our lives with religion, with good manners, good behavior. But you are dead. Let me paraphrase Paul's words this way. This comes from the message translation. As for you, you were dead. You were mired in all of your sin. You filled your lungs with polluted dreams. You were chasing after the wind. You let the world that doesn't know the first thing about living tell you how to live. And by doing so, now now you have become children of wrath. Now, that doesn't seem right. I mean, we're sinners, but children of wrath? Maybe it should say children of sadness. Maybe it should say we are confused children. No, it says children of wrath. Children who only deserve God's wrath. Why? Because of sin. And don't try to cover it up. Don't try to hide it. And don't try to make it taste better. Sin smells like death. Because what we have done and what you have done and what I have done is cosmic treason. We kick God off the throne and we've placed ourselves in His place. It's part of the sin nature that plagues us. It happens in the Old Testament. We see it with the idol worshippers of the Old Testament who put Baal in front of God. It happens with Nero in Rome when he puts himself as the authority. It happens with Adolf Hitler in Germany. All of these things have in common kicking God off the throne, putting themselves. It's what we do when pride takes control. And Before you begin to wag your finger at those people, we are the proudest and most self-sufficient generation ever to walk the face of the earth. And yet, The 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of the world. The Bible teaches us that the human race, we are not getting better. If anything, we are getting worse. The smell of sin smells like death. St. Augustine said 1,500 years ago that the world marches to the drumbeat of three things, money, sex, and power. Money, so the sin pushes this world to be continually obsessed with getting more money. Sex, sin tells us that we obey our desires. We obey our body even when it's bad for us or even when it damages other people or even further when it goes against God's divine design. We want sex. Power, sin leads us to be obsessed with power. And always looking to get more of it by whatever means necessary. To be the smartest person in the room. To be the best looking person in the room. To be the most religious person in the room. To be the richest person in the room. Because it gives us power over others. The world worships those three things because sin pushes us to that. And it gives devotion to those three things where they ought to be giving it to a holy God. The way of sin smells like death. And sin deserves the wrath of God. 
We don't want to hear that. We don't want to talk about that. But you need to learn. We need to look at Scripture. We need to embrace it. We need to love it because it is the truth. And only by knowing the truth will we ever be set free. We deserve God's wrath. When we take him off the throne, his rightful place, that is blasphemy against God. Pushing him off the throne is treason. It deserves the eternal punishment that it deserves, and that is hell. Hell is a terrible place, but hell is not one degree even worse than what you and I deserve as sinners. The way of sin smells like death. Because the way of sin marches steadily one moment, one step after another, all the way to death. Some of you are thinking, well, this is a pretty hopeless sermon. But God. But God. These two words are the tipping point of our text today. When we look at these pa- this passage, we see the words, but God. In fact, these two words are the tipping point that defines the good news of the gospel as a whole. What is the gospel message that is being, what does it get boiled down to? God's only Son provides eternal, everlasting life. That's the gospel The way of sin smells like death. Sin marches us steadily towards the grave. But God, it's a tipping point. I remember when our family dog for the first time encountered snow for the first time. In the backyard, he was shocked, he was delighted, he was overwhelmed, he's wagging his tail nervously, he's sniffing the snow up his nose, he doesn't know why it hurts, he can't figure out what's going on. What has happened? Whimpering even at the mystery of it all. Dancing around on the top of his toes out in the snow. What happened? It wasn't really that much colder than it had been the day before. The day before it was 33 degrees Fahrenheit and now it's 31 degrees Fahrenheit. What had happened? Almost nothing had changed. And yet everything had changed. But God. The way of sin smells like death, but God, the way of salvation, leads to life. The way of salvation leads to life. Verse 4 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He loved us, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The way of salvation leads to life. Verse 4, beginning with, but God, is like the continental divide that runs through the Rocky Mountains. If you are a water drop that falls from the sky and you are falling down and you land there, you have one way or another to go. As that water drop falls, if it lands on one side of the continental divide, it is going to find its way all the way over to the Atlantic Ocean. If it falls on the other side, it's going to fall and it is going to make its way all the way over to the Pacific Ocean. I realize as I'm saying that, that I'm saying it backwards for you. I think that the Atlantic Ocean would be on this side for you. 
the continental divide. No matter how hard you struggle, no matter how, how much effort you put behind it, how much uh, uh, trying you are putting behind it to earn the favor of God, you are hopelessly on the wrong side of the divide but God. Notice it's all in past tense here. It's a reference to the work of Jesus. He made us, past tense, alive with Christ. Christ died, he rose again, and by doing so, he satisfies the curse of sin that has held humans in bondage. And and since the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden sinned, and because of their sin, we have all been in bondage. But justice at the cross has been served. Because Jesus broke the curse of sin, I can be released from my curse of sin. You can be released of your curse of sin because Jesus shared in my death, I can share in his resurrection. Because Jesus shared in your death, you can share in his resurrection. Because Jesus died for me, I can live for him. Because Jesus died for you, you can live for him. Many times on a Sunday morning, I'll grab a cup of coffee next door here at Tim Horton's early morning, just sitting there running through my notes one more time, making sure that I know what it is I want to say. A couple years ago, a little girl and a boy came in. Their parents were pushing them in the jogging stroller. And if you don't know this, Tim Horton's off to my side. It's actually a gas station. So you just kind of come in, make your way in. They pushed the stroller in. They came in. Their parents pushed him in. I heard this little girl ask her brother. She said, can you feel your heartbeat? Can you feel your heartbeat? And she had her hand on her chest and she had her eyes closed. Can you feel your heartbeat? And she was just shocked by it. Can you feel your heartbeat? And then she put her hand on his chest. She said, I can feel your heartbeat too. She said, your heartbeat is how you know that you're alive. Isn't that great? That's how you know. Paul says that we are made alive in Christ. That our heartbeat is his heartbeat. When he rose from the dead, Easter Sunday morning, that his heart... The heart that was in his chest went from being dead and lifeless to suddenly beating again. And that's how you know that he is alive. When we accept Christ, his heart starts beating inside of our chest. He's made us alive in Christ. The way of salvation leads to life. He also raised us up with Christ. We were slaves, Scripture tells us. We are powerless. We are punishable. But God has raised us up in Christ. And He has seated us, He tells us, in this heavenly places at the heavenly banquet table. All by Himself, God has taken action to reverse our condition. It wasn't by anything that we have done, but He has reversed our condition. In a word, that God has done everything, everything necessary to save sinners from death. Not only did he do that, he seats us at the table. He doesn't say, I will seat you. It's still past tense. He says, has seated. In God's eyes, I am already seated with Christ. With Christ. Christ would have a place of honor at the table, and I am seated there with Christ. You are seated there with Christ. If you accepted him as your Lord and your Savior, you're seated there with Christ. Place of honor around God's throne. I couldn't be in a higher place in heaven, closer to God than that space right there. Salvation is already accomplished. 
It is finished, Jesus says. It's already mine. The way of salvation leads to life. So the way of sin smells like death. The way of salvation leads to life. The third point this morning is that the grace of God guides the way. The grace of God guides the way. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The grace of God guides the way. The average person in America, this is where we live, you can do all types of polls, and George Barna does all types of polls. The average person in the church and outside of the church thinks that if you do more good than bad, then God will allow you into his heaven or create some type of space for you in heaven. Many other religions will teach that you can work your way into maybe the inner rings or the inner sanctums, if you will, of heaven. And Paul wants to clear this very wrong idea up. He's very straightforward. He says that our salvation is not from works so that no one can boast. He says it's not from works. Your salvation is not from works. You cannot earn salvation so that the person next to you doesn't have some type of better salvation package and glory than you have. Jesus says himself in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's only by God's grace through the work of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the grace of God guides the way. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. You can't earn a gift. You can't work for a gift. You can't buy a gift. Then it's not a gift anymore. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. There's an author and a pastor that I love to read. His name is J.D. Greer. This is what he does with this passage. He says, first, the cause of salvation is grace. You see, God did it all. If you are saved, it's because God woke you up, He restored you to your senses, and then gave you the ability to believe. God woke you up, restored you to your senses, and gave you the ability to believe in Him. Grace is the cause of salvation. The means or the method by which salvation happens is faith. Think about the pew that you're sitting in right now. You came in this morning. You walked in. You chatted with somebody. You did not take measurements on the pew. You did not check to see if you were within the weight limits of the pew. You did not check to see any of those things. You simply sat down. You don't even remember doing it, most of you. It was so second nature. You just walked in and you sat down because you had complete faith that that pew would hold you. Do you remember that decision? No. But you know it. If you look back on the last half hour, the last hour, you know that you had faith in that pew. Why? Because you're sitting in the pew right now. Ta-da! You had faith in that pew. 
And for some of you, you're not actually able to look back and name a time and a date and a place where you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. But in many ways, you can look at your life right now and say, but I am seated. I'm seated in the hands of God. The means of salvation is faith. The promise of salvation is God's gift. That's the gift. What God has started, he tells us he will not stop doing until it's finished, until it's completed. He's at work in glory on our behalf, and he's going to continue to be there, mediating for us. It has nothing to do with you. Then the effects of salvation are the good works that we do. See, that's not the means by which, it's the effects by which. We are not saved by good works. We are validated by good works. We're saved by faith, and the effect then is good works. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing at all. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is the gift that God gives us, salvation. And because of the grace of God, it guides our way. It guides our steps. We are His workmanship, Paul says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. God knew God had a plan for your life. God had a plan for my life. And He knew it and He put things together. We are His workmanship, we are told here. So that what? That we would do good work so that we would move forward and we would walk in them. The grace of God that allows all of this to happen guides our steps, guides the way, gives us mile markers by which to walk through because we are His workmanship. If you've ever been to Washington, D.C., and many of you have, one of the most famous, if not the most famous monument there is the Vietnam Memorial. There was a lot of critique and criticism that was given when the memorial was put in place because it was very bland, very boring, very simple. There was a competition of the people who were all competing to have their architectural design be the one that would be chosen for the Vietnam Memorial. But the simplicity of it, of just a flat wall with names that goes on and on and on. If you've been there, it's powerful. It's moving. But because there were people who didn't appreciate the simplicity of that, because there had been a competition, it was the third place person who did not get the bid to do the full Vietnam Memorial was the one who got the bid to do the statue that stands off to the side of soldiers standing and looking at the memorial. If you've ever been there before, it is moving. It is anything but simple. It is detailed. It is ornate. It has all the stitching even done in that, in that statue. Like every stitch, it seems like, has been put there. And, and if you read about it, all the different details of the different uniforms for the different uh, service corps that were all demonstrated and represented there, even different ethnicities of the, of the men who served over in Vietnam, they're all trying to be represented in this picture. And they're all looking longingly over at the one that they've lost there on that Vietnam Memorial Wall. It's ornate. It's beautiful. It's a masterpiece. And for Christ, He says here in verse 10 that we are His workmanship. We are His work of art. His masterpiece. That He is using broken, damaged goods like you and I, and turning it into something beautiful. 
To what end? To create in his church what he would call his workmanship, meaning that the church as well as each and every individual believer have been lovingly conceived and fashioned and created by God as his work of art to put on display for all the world to see. That display is both present and that display is future as well. His work of art. And what happens in verse 10, it tells us that we should walk in them. That we are His workmanship and we are to walk in that. We walk in the good works that He has set out for us to do on earth to show Him, to demonstrate Him and His kingdom. The good works are living out His will and His purpose, reflecting His character, extending His love to the world. In short, walking is this believer's walk of being the church. The beautiful bride of Christ. So, of course, God is powerful enough to do all that He has done. But the more remarkable thing is that He did it. (laughs) He's powerful enough to do it, yes, but why would He do that? He's done it for your blessing and for mine, for your benefit and for mine. And in the end, what it does is it further reflects His glory. As the band comes back up this morning... We'll close in a few minutes with a song. We think about, we process, we often talk about the wonderful thing that it is for the God of the universe to humble himself and place himself in a manger as a little tiny baby. But it is just as much a miracle that he would give the mission of the church, his workmanship, all that he would want this world to see, all that he would want to happen over 2,000 years and more here on this planet, that he would give that to you and me. The way of sin, it smells like death. The way of salvation leads to life. And the grace of God leads and guides away. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Let me ask you, this is the gift of God. If you are here this morning, you need to hear this question if you don't hear anything else that I've said this morning. This letter was written to believers at a church at Ephesus. 2,000 years later, we can receive this letter as believers at a church in Williamsville. But if you're here this morning, and you do not personally know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Ask yourself, have you accepted the free gift that God is offering because of what His Son has done at the cross? You see, the Bible says that we are sinners. The Bible says that we, without Christ, smell and stink the stench of death. If you are here this morning and you do not know Christ, you are on the wrong side of the continental divide. But God. So if you don't know Christ this morning and you would like to accept Him, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Lord, the Bible says I am a sinner. I believe it. The Bible says I cannot save myself. But it says that Jesus Christ died 
in my place for my salvation. I believe it. The Bible says if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. I believe it. I accept you. I accept the gift of Jesus Christ, the beauty of the gospel. God's only son provides everlasting life. I accept that gift. If you are here this morning and you are living a life that has forgotten the fact that all things have been made new, once you're on the other side of the divide, you have been given a new life and grace ought to guide the way that you live that life. This morning you may need to confess and say, I'm not living a life that is, that is guided and molded and directed by God's grace. I'm living as though I'm pursuing something else, someone else. I'm living as though the heart that's inside of me is not beating like Christ. So would you pray this morning, Lord, I confess that is not pursuing hard after you. The Bible says that Jesus makes all things new. This life is supposed to be new. This life is supposed to be in a new direction, a new life, a new covenant. Lord, I want to live my life that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. It is a morning of communion. If you've got communion cups there in front of you, I hope you do. Communion is a beautiful picture. Jesus met with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed. He sits down and he talks with them and, and explains to them the very thing that we've been talking about. He says, I'm going to give my life for you in your place. And they had no idea what he was talking about. And he gave them this tool of communion to be able to understand that every time that they came together, every time that they celebrated communion together, they could be reminded of this beautiful picture of what had happened. And so the Lord's Supper, communion, is more than just sipping some grape juice and eating a piece of Bread, it's to symbolize, the simple act symbolizes what Christ has done for us on the cross. Jesus makes all things new. And that's what happened there. That's what happens in our life when we accept Him into our hearts. So communion is a solemn time in that it is a time of reflection. To, to take a moment to be able to, to put ourselves against Christ and say, is Christ living and working in me? Do I have sin against someone else that I need to get clear? Scripture teaches us to ask for forgiveness before coming to the communion table if you have sinned against someone else. The Bible teaches us to know Him, to be part of the family of God, to be a child of God. Not a member of Randall Church, but a member of the family of God before you take communion. If you're not there yet this morning, thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part. But maybe don't take communion with us here this morning. It's not just a religious ritual, it is a common union, a, a communion that we have together with one another as believers in Christ, in Christ himself. So if you take that communion cup, you can take the top off of it. First you'll see the bread there. And Paul, as he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth, says these words. Chapter 11, verse 23, For I see from the Lord that I also delivered to you the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together.
Paul continues on in verse 25. He says, in the same way, in the same meal at the same time, he also took the cup at that supper saying, this cup is the new covenant. It makes all things new, friends. This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for communion, this ritual, this, this ceremony that reminds us of who you are and what you've done. We thank you that by coming together, Lord, we celebrate the new life that we have in you. Let us walk out of here living a life anew. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand as we sing?
standing. Just our last announcement is, as you are going to make your way out this morning, we got offering plates that are there in the back. It is the first Sunday of the month. And what that means is it's our care offering. It's something that we use to, to uh, help with benevolence requests that come in. We're able to help people uh, with their rent payments or different things like that have happened over the last number of months. Your generosity has been wonderful, so continue to give in that way. Offering boxes are there in the back as well where you can drop off your connection card or your normal tithes and offerings. And then there in the back beyond that, any announcements that we've made this morning, there will be a kiosk there in the back for you to talk to a person, ask more questions, and then also an opportunity to meet with Cliff Miller and myself as we able to talk through uh, the eldership process this year. That's what's going on as you make your way out this morning. Would you close with us in this benediction prayer? You can read this with me. Let's read together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen, friends. Go in peace.